This episode is brought to you by NCSEA's members. Join NCSEA's members, policymakers, influencers, and clean energy champions at NCSEA's Powering Our Future Gala on October 10th. This special night will include food, drinks, and dancing with the people who have helped North Carolina employ more than 43,000 citizens in clean energy, become number two in the nation for installed solar, number four for electric vehicle charging stations per capita, and number three in the southeast for announced and commissioned energy storage. To learn more about the gala, visit energync.org gala. Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. We have a hot and fresh episode out for you today. Our interview was just recorded yesterday afternoon with none other than the head of the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality, Secretary Michael Regan. He's leading the implementation of the recently released North Carolina Clean Energy Plan, and we're taking a deep dive into the plan. We discuss the work that needs to be done in order to advance North Carolina's clean energy economy, and finally, we get Secretary Regan's insight on Senate Bill 559. Spoiler alert! Secretary Regan still does not support Senate Bill 559. I'm so excited about this awesome interview, but as always, let's start with our policy update. It appears that we're finally nearing the home stretch of the 2019 long session. Senate leader Phil Berger has announced his goal for the Senate to adjourn by the end of October, but we're waiting to see if House leadership is on the same timeline. This also means that the fate of a major piece of legislation we've been tracking, Senate Bill 559, could be decided soon. We've been talking about Senate Bill 559, also known as the Duke Energy Bill, since the very first episode of Squeaky Clean back in May, which you should listen to if you want to learn more about this far-reaching bill that could negatively impact utility customers all across North Carolina. This week, the final conference report for Senate Bill 559 was released. As you'll remember, the House removed the controversial Part 2 of the bill back in August, which would allow Duke Energy to request multi-year rate hikes and return on equity banding or profits, and instead the House called for a broader rate-making study that would be conducted by the North Carolina Utilities Commission. After weeks of behind-closed-door negotiations between House and Senate leaders, unfortunately the House study language is now gone, and the bill's original intent is back in the conference report, which became public on Wednesday afternoon. And the Senate wasted no time in adding the bill to their calendar and quickly calling the vote shortly after 4 p.m. The bill passed the Senate 26 to 16. The conference report will likely be back before the House for a vote next week. However, the vote count continues to appear very close, and bipartisan opposition remains. 
NCSEA is very disappointed that the conference report does not include the broader study of utility rate-making reforms, and therefore we remain opposed to the final conference report, as do many other customer advocate groups, numerous large industrial and manufacturing businesses, and clean energy and environmental groups. Please be on the lookout for NCSEA's action alerts as we continue to urge House representatives to vote no on Senate Bill 559, and instead support utility business model and rate-making reforms forms that allow greater market competition, customer choice, and cleaner, more affordable energy sources that benefit all North Carolinians. After nearly 10 months of extensive stakeholder meetings and listening sessions held across the state, North Carolina's Department of Environmental Quality DEQ, Department of Transportation, Department of Commerce, and Department of Administration have finalized and released comprehensive plans that were called for in Executive Order 80, which was announced by Governor Cooper last October. The high-level goals are to reduce electric power sector greenhouse gas emissions by 70% below 2005 levels by 2030 and attain carbon neutrality by 2050. Foster long-term energy affordability and price stability for North Carolina's residents and businesses by modernizing regulatory and planning processes. That's a really important one. And accelerate clean energy innovation, development, and deployment to create economic opportunities for both rural and urban areas of the state. The plans released are the NC Clean Energy Plan, the Zero Emissions Vehicle Plan, the Motor Fleet Zero Emissions Vehicle Plan, and the Clean Energy and Clean Transportation Workforce Assessment. The plans are much-needed roadmaps for North Carolina, and as you'll hear in this episode from one of the chief architects, they chart a path forward for North Carolina's clean energy economy. Okay, squeaky clean listeners, get ready for one of our best interviews yet and listen carefully because we cover a lot of ground. And if you like what you hear, follow us on Instagram. We're at Squeaky Clean Podcast. Clean energy. Our special guest today is Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality, Michael Regan. He's held this position since January of 2017. As DEQ Secretary, he oversees the state agency whose mission it is to protect North Carolina's environment and natural resources. And over the past year, he and DEQ staff have focused a lot of their work on clean energy issues and opportunities for our state. Secretary Regan joined Governor Cooper's administration after more than 18 years of professional experience focused on overcoming complex challenges through environmental advocacy and regulation, which included starting his own consulting firm after many years working at the Environmental Defense Fund, where he served as Associate Vice President of U.S. Climate and Energy and Southeast Regional Director. And prior to EDF, he worked with the Environmental Protection Agency's air quality and energy programs for the Clinton and Bush administrations. A native of Goldsboro, North Carolina, Secretary Regan has a bachelor's degree in earth and environmental science from NCANT University and a master's degree in public administration from George Washington University. He and his wife, Melvina, and their son, Matthew, live in Raleigh. Friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to today's very special guest, North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality Secretary, Michael Regan. Secretary Regan, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really glad to have you here. This is really exciting for us. 
We're really honored that you sat down with us today. Well, I've heard the podcast, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here. So, so thank you for having me. Yeah, well, let's let's jump right into this. You grew up in Goldsboro, North Carolina. You graduated with a degree from NCANT. Can you talk a little bit about why you focused your career on the environment and clean energy and economic development opportunities for rural communities across our state? Absolutely. I think you've hit all of the the sort of big points that define who I am. Um, I grew up hunting and fishing with my grandfather and father. Um, you know, at a very early age. And so I've obviously always had a near and dear, uh, close relationship to the environment. I also grew up uh, with some symptoms of asthma and recognized very early in life that on high ozone action days or very hot days, there were times where I couldn't be outdoors and do what I love to do. So there was always this natural curiosity about nature, pollution, and sort of the impact that that have on just everyday average people. I'm from eastern North Carolina, very proud of it. Grew up in Wayne County, um, but my parents are from... Shout out to Wayne County. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Wayne County. Um, my parents are from Wilson County and Bladen County, so we're eastern North Carolina folks. Grew up in rural eastern North Carolina for the most part, or spent a lot of time there. And so I've always had a natural curiosity with how we begin to bridge the gap between our urban and rural communities. Clean energy, economic development, education are all ways to do that. And so I'm just really excited that I had the opportunity to go to school and study environmental science, but then pursue a master's degree in public policy so I could bridge the science and policy gaps. Therefore, investing in opportunities to actively work to bridge those gaps between our urban and rural communities. Growing up, did you find that you were alone in your interest in the environment, or were your friends interested? Who were you talking to about the environment when you were young? You know, um, my, my father was an ag extension agent, um, okay. so I grew up doing demonstrations with 4-H, uh, and so I had a lot of folks around me that Great. were interested in the environment, both family and friends. Um, you know, there was a natural competition between hunting and fishing on the weekends versus those friends who were active in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always chose the environmental route, even, okay. even at an early age. So um, it's just, it's very familiar to me. Yeah. Did you play any sports? I did. I did. I, I ran track and actually I, I swam a lot. Um, cool. So I was a lifeguard in high school and college. So I spent a fair amount of time doing, doing sort of sports related activities, but there's nothing better than being out there at, you know, five or six in the morning trying to catch that first fish or, you know, listening to the beagles hunt small game and just being there to partake in that. So, you know, that's just a a special place, has a special place in my heart. In October of last year, Governor Cooper signed Executive Order 80, which set some very important clean energy, climate, and storm resiliency-related goals for North Carolina by 2025, and it directed various state agencies to develop recommendations and plans and submit them to the governor by October 1st. These plans included a clean energy workforce assessment, the zero emissions vehicle plan, the motor fleet plan, and the North Carolina Clean Energy Plan. I want to take a deep dive into all of this, but can you start with a higher level overview of why Executive Order 80 was needed, and then talk about DEQ's process of developing our state's first ever clean energy plan. Absolutely. You know, I'd like to start by saying, first of all, it is an honor and a privilege to work for a governor who gets it, who understands that environmental protection and economic prosperity are not mutually exclusive, but actually go hand in hand. Mm. Given the current posture of our um, sort of national politics, 
the withdrawal of the United States from the Paris Accord, uh, Governor Cooper recognized very early on that it would be states who are the leaders. And so with his vision and his direction, he issued uh, Executive Order 80, which is a really excellent uh, sort of roadmap for how North Carolina can do its part in fighting climate change and climate change impacts, but also remaining nationally and globally competitive. The reality is, is that we need a framework, both policy and regulatory framework, that creates or incentivizes innovation, markets, technology, the natural progression that uplifts our economy while preserving our environment. So Executive Order 80 has two goals. The first is thinking through how we do that with every cabinet agency participating. Um, But it also pays special attention to transportation, to uh, commerce and the economy, and to the environment. Uh, It's a fascinating way to look at the whole of government approach in terms of what we can do as cabinet secretaries and agencies that does more than talk but walk the walk. If we're going to ask the corporate sector to pursue these goals, the public sector should do the same. So you alluded to it. The Clean Energy Plan was just finalized and submitted to Governor Cooper. It's over 130 pages long and details different ways North Carolina can achieve the goals in EO80 and make an equitable transition to a clean energy economy. What are some of the key takeaways from that plan? You know, the key takeaways are we were committed to the Paris Accord, the 40 percent at the 2005 level. Um, But that's a short-term goal. Governor Cooper was looking long-term. And we wanted a plan that put us um, on par with the rest of the states in the country that are leading on this issue. Some of the takeaways are there's a 70% reduction goal by 2030 of the CO2 um, emissions or the greenhouse gas emissions coming from the electricity sector with a goal of a net zero emissions level by 2050. Very aggressive, not just for North Carolina, not just for a southern state, but North Carolina is demonstrating that we have the chops to compete with and excel at reducing carbon and climate pollutants. So there's that component. Um, There are also the components of looking at once we get on track for mitigating climate pollution, how do we begin to pivot as a state to adjust to and adapt to the changing climate and the impacts that will result? The reality is, is that technology, markets, those price signals can get us where we need to be on the mitigation side and really promote, promote clean energy in a very robust way. But there are some climate change impacts that we will be living with for the foreseeable future. So as we face these more intense storms, part of Executive Order 80 that's complementary to the clean energy plan is the resiliency piece um, that we'll start to work on soon as well. How did the Clean Energy Plan come about, and who did you involve in that process? You know, the Clean Energy Plan, first and foremost, we we set some goals for ourselves. And goal number one, we knew that we could not have a successful product without an inclusive process of all of the interested stakeholders in North Carolina. Number two, we didn't want to recreate any wheels. There have been lots of great ideas bounced around in North Carolina for a number of years of how we expedite our clean energy goals. So there are those that have the experience in what technologies are available, 
what business models are available, what market incentives we need. And then there are those that said, based on the science and based on the data, we need to be by X time at X point if we're going to reverse some of the impacts of climate change. So stakeholder engagement, transparency was paramount. Number two, we, we set some parameters. Uh, we set some priorities. Uh, we met with over 160 stakeholders. We had a number of meetings, workshops, stakeholder engagements all over North Carolina. And with that continual engagement for over a year, we were able to prioritize the goals of all of those stakeholders in a way that would drive North Carolina as expeditiously as possible towards that clean energy goal. We love shout-outs on this show. Do you want to give shout-outs to any of the stakeholders that were involved who might be listening to this show, any groups or people? You know, there, there are a ton. I, I have to say it's that— It's kind of like the uh, Grammys, you know, when like you, <laughs> you know, like you're trying to give the thank you list and there are too many people to thank. <laughs> there are a lot of people. You know, so what I'll do is, is touch on the broad categories. We sure. had the universities participate, lots of participation. And I don't mean phone in or write in once, but participated all year. We had the business community participating, whether it be, you know, local chambers or the Manufacturing Association. We had the environmental community. Shout out to NCSEA, <laughs> Environmental Defense Fund, NRDC, Sierra Club. We had so many um, conservation network. We had so many groups that participated. So we had the business community. We had academia. We had the environmental groups. Listen, we had state and locally elected officials participate and write in comments. Um, we had Duke Energy participate. So there was full participation, full transparency, and I think we created an environment where people knew that their ideas would be heard, and we stayed true to that with that end result. We live in a time now where in order to be successful, whether you're talking about laws or policies, you have to be transparent. Mm. Information is available instantaneously, People are educated, and so we felt a real strong desire that we needed to be as transparent as possible. The stakeholder process that DEQ conducted contrasts dramatically with Senate Bill 559. Given the need for greater market competition, customer choice, and innovative technology, shouldn't we have a similar stakeholder process to develop energy policies at the legislature? We have to. Um, North Carolina is at a crossroads. And so I think if you take a step back, we have to really think about who we want to be in order to get where we need to be. Do we want to continue to operate with a monopoly system? That's a very valid question. And if we do continue to operate under a monopoly system, can we develop the right structures and incentives to make that system possible? Or have we exhausted that system? Um, and when you really think about competition and choice, it's really not about Duke Energy or not about DEQ. It's about the customers. It's about the people of North Carolina. And the question is, are we able to create a structure, a framework that will get the customers the best product for the lowest price? Some believe that competition and markets are the only way to get there. Some believe that we could restructure the monopolistic structure that we're under and achieve those goals. I think what we're trying to do is determine which path is best for the people of North Carolina. So it's impossible 
given how complex this issue is and given how many people are potentially impacted, it's impossible to do this behind closed doors. It's impossible to solely focus on one stakeholder. And so that makes it impossible for me as the secretary for the Department of Environmental Quality to support Senate Bill 559. And that would be the advice that I'm going to give to my boss, Governor Cooper, if this bill makes its way to his desk. And I believe um, that likely there will be a veto associated with that. But we'll see. We're, we're hoping that cooler heads will prevail. We're hoping that the skies will open up and there will be some transparency. Um, and so we're waiting very patiently and optimistically that that happens. So what I hear you saying is that we really do need to look at regulatory reform. We need to look at a new utility business model. But in order to do that, we have to have a comprehensive stakeholder process. We have to have transparency. Absolutely. And I can say that with confidence because that's the way we're leading. The clean energy plan is just the beginning. But we have to take a look at our regulatory structure. And, and listen, let's be honest. This is a whole-of-government approach. Um, we put a lot of emphasis on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. We should put more emphasis on civics and social studies. There is an appropriate role for multiple branches of government to participate in this process. So we need to have an active utilities commission that has a role to play in determining how we move forward. There's the executive branch. There's the governor and his thoughts. There's departments like DEQ. DOT, there's a big role for the legislature. So the Clean Energy Plan lays out what we need to study, we've prioritized those efforts, and then we've sort of assigned lead roles to all of these entities to demonstrate that in government, if we're all singing from the same sheet of music, we can ensure that North Carolina's customers are getting the best product at the best price in a very equal way meaning we cannot leave the least among us behind, and we can do it in a way where whole of government makes sure that North Carolina is not only nationally competitive, but globally competitive. What are the next steps for EO80 in implementing the Clean Energy Plan? You know, next steps are to look at the short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals. We're investigating what are the appropriate ways to facilitate some of the stakeholder processes because we want to continue that stakeholder process. Uh, we're also um, pulling more people into the tent. We've got an awesome university system here. Uh, we've got a lot of tech companies, Research Triangle Park, lots of entrepreneurs. Charlotte is the financial hub of the Southeast. Um, we're making sure that in the second phase, we're getting even more input as we tackle these problems in a prioritized way. Getting the clean energy plan implemented is going to require people on both sides of the aisle. So how can you get support from folks who might not be supportive of Governor Cooper to implement the clean energy plan? You know, this is a great question, one that sometimes I just can't wrap my head around because this is not a partisan issue. Um, this is a North Carolina-focused issue, and it really is about how do we get energy, the cleanest energy possible, so that our people are the healthiest, and so that our state is, is globally competitive. Um, I believe in science. Most Americans do. But if you don't, there is a path to victory here through markets, through technology, through new business models. And I think both sides of the aisle 
can appreciate and understand that. The second thing is, is that as I spend time with the business community all over this state, uh, people love North Carolina because we have a, a, a rich, talented pool of students coming out of these great universities, um, both our four-year institutions and our community colleges. So they, they like that. They like our education system. Uh, they love our quality of life. But when you really start to talk to people, people run businesses, businesses move to North Carolina. It's because of our mountains, our coast, and everything in between. So it's almost impossible to separate natural resource protection, our environment, and the economy. We need to have the conversations in a way that everyone feels comfortable. And if you're not comfortable talking about facts and science, um, but you're really comfortable talking about markets and competition and being globally competitive, or maybe you're just interested in national security, it doesn't matter what your interest is. When you start to look at the clean energy plan and what the evolution of a clean energy economy looks like, there's something in there for everyone. Of course, you know this, I follow you on social media, you're all over Instagram, you're on Twitter, you post about interesting places that you visit, you're posting about your job as DEQ secretary. I saw you a few weeks ago at the ribbon cutting ceremony for the Fifth Thirds, new 80 megawatt solar facility in Hertford County. What has been your most exciting or unique day over the last two and a half years as DEQ secretary? Well, let me, let me tell you, it's been an exciting two and a half years and just yesterday, um, we have hit visiting 70 out of 100 counties. So I've covered a lot of ground wow. and, and talked to a lot of people. I really enjoy that part of the job, learning more about North Carolina and its people. Um, I'm a native. Uh, I've been here most of my life. I'm, I've lived in uh, Washington, D.C. for a while and, and came back. But I think that the, the most uh, interesting and rewarding part of the job has been um, working with the staff at DEQ. Um, you know, I must say, when I inherited the agency two and a half years ago, uh, the morale wasn't quite as high as it should. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, many people had lost focus on why they were public servants and what they should be doing. We spent a lot of time uh, reinvigorating our staff and reminding people just how important their jobs are. And our agency has sprung to life. When you look at the Herculean task of putting together an aggressive clean energy plan in less than 12 months, that's not because people begrudgingly came into the office and checked a box. <laughs> yeah. Staff run into the office mm. and think about how they can put the best products across the finish line, whether it's a clean energy plan, whether it's solving complex issues like coal ash or whether we're thinking about emotionally charged issues like emerging contaminants and water quality. Uh, so I'm very proud of the people at the Department of Environmental Quality, and they challenge me each and every day to be a better secretary. Mm. Right on. What's unique about North Carolina? What makes it easier or more challenging to advance clean energy? You know, what's unique about North Carolina, and I was just having this conversation yesterday with Governor Hunt, um, when you think about Research Triangle Park and, and think about our university system and, again, how strong our community college system is, North Carolina is uniquely positioned uh, to really usher in just this new era of reducing climate change impacts 
and leading on the technology, the markets, the business, business model front, people tend to think about North Carolina as a progressive southern state. But when you really look at what we're doing in the clean energy space, when you look at the strides we've made on dealing with perfluorinated compounds um, like Gen X, uh, when you think about how we are looking at the science that supports our decision on coal ash, North Carolina is leading the country. We're leading the nation in how to really position environmental protection as a, a natural way to protect public health as well, but we're also weaving in, you can do it while growing the economy. North Carolina is a special place, it's unique in that regard, um, and I'm very proud to be from North Carolina. What are you most excited about right now? You know, I'm, I'm excited about this clean energy plan. Climate we are change. Too. We are really excited about it. <laughs> you, you know this as well as, as I do, climate change is the biggest issue of our generation. Uh, it will have an impact on everything that we care about, from the economy to agriculture to national security. I'm very proud of the product. I'm very excited to be a part of a cabinet that's focused. It's not just DEQ. It's the Department of Transportation, the Department of Commerce, uh, Health and Human Services. If you were at the event last week, you even heard an enthusiastic Secretary of Revenue talking about sustainability and using less paper and carbon reduction. The governor has managed to invigorate multiple cabinet agencies to focus on what's best for North Carolina, and climate change is among the top issues. Well, Secretary Regan, thank you so much for being on the pod. Good luck with all the work that you're doing. We're here to support you. We're cheering you on, and we're going to keep working to advance clean energy in this state. You're an awesome guest. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I'm probably just as big of a fan as yours as you're mine. <laughs> well, yeah, we were, we were fanboying all day, so <laughs> thanks, Secretary Regan. Appreciate thank you. it. folks the 11th episode of the squeaky clean energy podcast bringing the latest in clean energy right to your ears if you want to be at the clean energy party of the year then you have to be at ncsea's powering our future gala on october 10th where close to 300 policymakers, influencers and clean energy champions will be enjoying a night of food drinks and dancing come celebrate the clean energy advances that we've made since ncsea started over 40 years ago for more information, visit energync.org gala. I'd like to thank Secretary Regan, Sharon Martin, and everyone at the Department of Environmental Quality for making this episode possible. Stay tuned for the next episode with another very special guest, Catherine Hamilton of the Energy Gang Podcast. We are so excited for that one. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.